It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 329 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Patch Notes. It is October 15, 2021, and this is Jen. So I'm going to start with a little bit about the ongoing, never-ending Activision Blizzard lawsuits and all of that, because there's more, there's always more, because they're not handling it properly at all, in my opinion, and in the opinion of others. Specifically, Wowhead had an article uh, posted three days ago, today's 15th, so that'd be about the 11th or 12th, maybe, and um, it's talking about the, and I'm going to summarize, because it's very detailed, and I, as always, everything I talk about will be linked into the show notes if you want to get more out of the articles that I'm mentioning, or the tweets that I'm pointing out. So, the Wowhead article... Uh, it's titled DFEH Expedited Request Denied, comma, CWA Files Separate Intervention Against Activision Blizzard Settlement. So that's the title. It's written by someone named uh, Ar- Archimetros. I hope I got that right. So there's two things going on in here, and I'll try to summarize as best I can. So first, the Central District Court of California denied the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, that's the DFEH, their application for an expedited intervention over the $18 million settlement between the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, that's the EEOC, and Activision Blizzard. So while this doesn't deny the DFEH the ability to intervene entirely it's they have to refile also the communications workers of america cwa the largest communications and media labor union in the united states they previously filed unfair labor charges against activision blizzard on behalf of its employees and now they've filed their own objection to the eeoc settlement and request a fairness hearing which is a lot of stuff right there. Basically, what's going on here is, according to this article, and I'm, it, I've read this article over, it seems like they know what they're talking about. So, um, the judge's denial of the DFEH's application... There's not a lot to say about that, but it it acknowledges that the situation is getting so messy that it shouldn't be rushed. The recent accusation that the DFEH engaged in misrepresentation by utilizing two former EEOC attorneys has sparked a series of arguments between the state and federal agencies, ranging from who has jurisdiction and what information was actually confidential. So that's two of these um, groups basically, that are interested in suing Activision Blizzard that are now fighting each other as well, which can't be good. The DFEH filed an objection to the EEOC's opposition, stating that the DFEH and EEOC agreed to share confidential information and personnel uh, without ever ceding authority to the EEOC, and so it's a giant mess going on. In the meantime, the Communications Workers of America, CWA, is getting into the game by filing their own objection against the settlement, citing 31 different points in which they feel the agreement is deficient along with the commonly cited complaint that the $18 million figure is inadequate. Many of these read as the union wanting to become involved in the process and oversight laid out in the settlement, 
though they aren't actually a party to any of the lawsuits. So it's not quite clear how much involvement is something they can do. They have 31 little things in here. I'm not going to read all 31. I'm going to read a few of them. The first one is, why were the employees not consulted prior to the agreement of the proposed consent decree? These EEOC standards regarding consent decree uh, decrees... I don't know why it's in there twice. Maybe it's a typo. Maybe that's how you're supposed to say it. Requires uh, Require communication with the employees who are affected by a consent decree before entering into any proposed consent decree. Um, the consent decree has a reference to waivers. The CWA has not seen any of these waivers, and they're kind of concerned about what that might be. Again, the settlement amount of $18 million is woefully inadequate. This would provide the maximum settlement for only 60 workers. If a significant number of workers received the maximum under federal law, there would be little available for many other workers adversely affected. We are concerned about how the EEOC got to that number and how it believes that number will be fairly distributed. The proposed consent decree seems to be an attempt to preempt the parallel suit brought by the Department of Fair Employment and Housing under California law. California law provides for greater remedies, and the DFEHC seems much more willing to aggressively and effectively pursue litigation. Please explain why why this consent decree was suddenly entered into shortly after the DFEH's complaint was filed and became active. What's going on with that, right? That was, um, if you remember, there was a lot of stuff on Twitter where it looked like that the Activision Blizzard was going to uh, have some sort of meeting with the DFEH or with the EEOC. And then within an hour, that thing came down with like the tiny number of money that would go to some workers who were abused and one way or another, and that's kind of a mess. Apparently, the consent decree refers in several parts to retaliation. The CWA would like to know what that means exactly, because it's not really mentioned. They haven't seen anything specifically stating what retaliation means in this context. Um, There's a lot of other stuff in here, so I'll just go with that for now. The CWA would like to have some input into the hiring of any, quote, EEO consultant. They are concerned uh, to make sure that the consultant is independent, knowledgeable, and vigorous. They want to object to an automatic expiration of the consent decree. It should expire only upon court approval with notice to all affected claimants. There's just, it goes on and on. They have a lot of things that they want, and some of this seems pretty darn relevant to me. I'm not going to read everything in here, but you can read it through the show notes that I'll put on ShatteredSoulStone.com. There's also a, a thing in here. Two hours of training of human resources, HR employees, is woefully inadequate, it should be required semi-annually and workers should be allowed to attend. And it just goes on from there. So that's a lot. Then there is a tweet that was posted on October 7th that I don't think I saw before the previous Soulstone went up. And I, th- I, think it, I think the last show might have gone up before this. I'm not sure. But it's right around the time. Uh, there's a person named Stephen Toledo or Totillo. Totillo. Stephen Totillo. And he covers video games for Axios. And so he's got some tweets here and it says California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing which previously objected to Riot's quote rushed settlement with female workers plans to object to the equal opportunity equal employment opportunity commission settlement with proposal with Activision it says it could harm uh, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing's case and there's 
uh, some pictures here of the lawsuit, and I'll read you a tiny bit of this. The California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, DFEH, hereby applies to this court ex parte, I don't know what that means exactly, for an order shortening time to file its motion to intervene in this action for the purpose of objecting to the consent decree proposed by plaintiffs and defendants at the time the action was filed. Such an order is timely necessary given the temporal urgency and to avoid irreparable harm to the interests of the DFEH's state court claims in the matter of DFEH versus Activision Blizzard, etc. It is necessary to grant the order shortening time to allow the DFEH to prepare and file its substantive and procedural objections, which will provide the court with information necessary for a full and fair assessment of the proposed consent decree. Okay, so there's that. In addition uh, to EEOC's failures to comply with notice requirements to the court about the pending DFEH action, EEOC and defendants also failed to provide complete information in the proposed consent decree now lodged with the court. The proposed decree, for example, lacks a proposed notice, claim form, and release. also provides no notice of DFEH's pending action, but seeks court approval of a procedure whereby EEOC and defendants arrange for outside counsel to assist with obtaining releases of state claims to which the EEOC is not a party and EEOC lacks standing to prosecute under law. Goes on from there a little bit. And then there's um, another section that seems very full of legalese. Um, But here's the main part, I think. Here there is a looming temporal event, entry of the consent decree by the court without all the available information that would result in irreparable harm to DFEH. At a minimum, DFEH's interests will be irreparably harmed by the court's entry of the proposed consent decree. DFEH's pending enforcement action against defendants will be harmed by uninformed waivers that the proposed decree makes conditional for victims to obtain relief. The proposed consent decree also contains provisions sanctioning the effect of destruction and or tampering of evidence critical to the DFEH's case, such as personnel files and other documents referencing sexual harassment, retaliation, and discrimination. Given that the consent decree may result in the waiver of state claims relevant to DFEH's pending case and the destruction of tampering of evidence necessary to DFEH's case, shortening time for the DFEH to file its motion is appropriate and the court should grant DFEH's ex parte application. Now, I believe this part is specifically talking about the allegations possibly from the DFEH that Activision was shredding documents that were part of HR where employees had mentioned uh, being uh, sexually harassed or abused or uh, abused in other ways within the company. And yeah, if you let them shred it, that is going to screw up uh, the DFEH's claim. So yeah, they do need to get in there quickly, but I don't know what the courts are doing with that right now. There's another little article in here that I thought was relevant, but I think I already talked about what's in it. And then Kotaku has... One of the best titles about this whole thing, Union pissed about meager Activision Blizzard settlement, comma, demands fairness hearing. And they've got a picture from Blizzard, and it's two of those. um, It's from World of Warcraft, and there's two of those uh, two-headed ogres sort of staring at each other. And they wrote, uh, this image represents all four active parties now involved in this case. I'll let you decide who is who. Okay. So we've got a little bit here from the Communication Workers of America that have filed an objection to the EEOC's proposed settlement with Activision Blizzard regarding sexual harassment allegations at the game publisher. The union is unhappy. Uh, The news arrives only hours after the case's presiding judge denied the ex parte intervention motion filed by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, DFE. This article was written Tuesday.
and we know the background. And so the things that they've pulled out of the explicit criticisms that the CWA there. Okay. In addition to airing these explicit criticisms, the CWA also poses quite a few relevant questions to the EEOC. And so here's some of it. Um, This proposed consent decree seems to be an attempt to preempt the parallel suit brought by the Department of Fair Employment and Housing under California law. Um, I think I already read that one. Uh, The consent decree seems to cover, quote, defendants as well as their parents, subsidiaries, officers, directors, agents, successors, and assigns. Does this consent decree then absolve the individuals from any further liability? Please explain how will notice be given to them to assure compliance. And another one, we also would like to know how the EEOC will determine whether someone is an eligible claimant as defined in the consent decree. Please explain how you intend to determine the, quote, list of potential claimants, end quote. Uh, What about misclassified workers under state or federal law? Uh, As I have indicated, and I as someone who is representing the CWA, uh, CWA, CWA is in contact with a large number of individuals. The DFEH is in contact with many individuals. How do you intend to incorporate any individuals that we know about, former employees and all people who were adversely affected by the illegal practices of defendants? being Activision Blizzard, so that they are entitled to, to submit a claim form. And there's you know, 31 items in there, and it's a lot. It's a whole lot right there. There is a um, link to a lawsuit uh, filed by the, Equal Employment, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission against Activision Blizzard, and it's from the communication workers, I think. It says here specifically, the Communication Workers of America, which represent a number of Activision current and former employees, request that the court grant and schedule a fairness hearing with respect to the proposed consent decree. The Communication Workers of America believe that there are a number of serious deficiencies in the proposed consent decree, and the union would like those deficiencies addressed at a fairness hearing. So there's that. Moving on. There's an interesting article from Backstage that has nothing to do with all of this uh, legislative lawsuit type things. But um, it was originally posted on July 28th. It's been updated on October 7th. It's titled How Blizzard Entertainment uh, CD Andrea Toyas Cast the Video Game Diablo 4. Now, that title's exciting on its own because it tells us they've cast the voice actors. Okay, they may not be done recording all their parts, but there are voice actors for D4. So that's kind of exciting. I'm going to read you a little bit from this couple of paragraphs here. From fighting demons in the Diablo franchise to choosing to join the Alliance or Horde in the world of Warcraft, part of what draws players back to Blizzard Entertainment's video games again and again is not just the gameplay, but the epic stories you get to experience. A key part of what makes these stories so immersive and compelling is the incredible characters you meet along the way. Finding actors that can give these characters life is the task of Blizzard's senior casting and voice director, Andrea Toyas. Backstage, that's the uh, article, the website this is coming from Backstage, spoke to Toyas about casting the highly anticipated Diablo 4, looking for actors' human stories to cast characters from demon goats to orcs and more. So the question asked was, what was it like casting Diablo 4? And uh, Andrea Toya says, Diablo 4 is a very specific game. And I think that some people still have the idea that video games are kind of fun and comical and silly and over the top. More and more, we're not looking for cartoony over the top voices. We're looking for very grounded, gritty, real performances. Voice acting is very hard. When you're on camera or on stage, you've got your face. You can make a sad face or your blue steel face. But for voice acting, I need to hear the entire realm of the 
human experience in your voice. That's really, really difficult. And I don't think people realize how hard that is unless they've done it. For Diablo 4, it's very dark, very grim. It's a game of rough existence. It's been challenging. We're looking all over the globe because there are lots of accents to really find performances where people through their voice alone can convey the weight of the world. The next question was, how do you get people to that place in an audition? And this part I thought was really interesting. Uh, Andrea Toya says, oddly enough, we really talked about COVID-19 because what I have to do as a voice director is make our crazy fantasy scape or take our crazy fantasy scape and make it real. So rather than going, you're in a land infested with demons, we were talking about COVID-19 and how it's hard. You're tired and you're exhausted and every day there's more bad news. Think about the weight that COVID-19 has put on you and channel that into your performance rather than going, you're attacked by an onslaught of demon goats. That doesn't make sense to anybody. What does make sense is connecting to your own experience of COVID-19 and knowing and feeling safe enough to share with me the fatigue, exhaustion, and sadness in your voice to connect with Diablo 4. It's actually been quite interesting to cast for a game that's all about the weight of existence during a time that itself has a weight of existence. She continues, I think for the actors I've found so far who've recorded, and none of them are mentioned, they're all going to be a surprise. Um, It's almost like an outlet. When they come in on Diablo 4, actors don't have to hide what they're going through for the year. If you're tired and exhausted and sad and a little bit scared, don't push that away for the session. Bring that into the session because that's Diablo 4. It's been kind of exciting and hard and heavy, but to let the truth of our own lives come into the game, I think that's really going to sell the game and make our characters more real and empathic. And there's more, but I'm going to leave that for now and you can check out the show notes for the rest of it but I think voice acting is amazing the most I do with it is for D&D characters and things like that but um, I've done very little else oh um I did an audiobook but um it's it can be tough and when I've done these things especially the audiobook um I did bring some of my own experience into the voices that I did and it's tough. It's really tough. But with a game like Diablo 4, like, I don't think we're going to find many happy, frivolous moments in this game. So to be cast as a character in that game, I think you really got to pull from yourself, like, the worst. It's bleak. It's dark. It's dangerous. And I think Andrea Toyas's concept to kind of talk about COVID-19 and bring those emotions in is going to make this game fantastic because everybody's living through that so i just thought it was neat to bring up and now i come to the part of the show where i named the show the patch notes there's been a few patch notes as you may remember a lot of this for those that are unaware or who are not playing diablo 2 which resurrected which is what the patch notes are about if you're not playing that you may not know but the game has crashed over and over again repeatedly for different reasons and without warning. And this has irritated, to say the least, a lot of people who were trying to play, say, on the weekends or on their day off or after they got home from work or whatever. And the Diablo 2 Resurrected team has been uh, working on it. So here's a bit about what they've got. Some of this is shorter than other parts of it. So on uh, about, let's see, October 12th, I think, uh, Pez Radar posted patch notes into the Diablo 2 Resurrected um, forum on the Blizzard website. And it's specifically 
PC and console patch notes. So this is to cover both. Here's what it says. A new patch is now available for Xbox consoles and PlayStation 4 consoles. PC, Nintendo Switch, and PlayStation 5 consoles will follow shortly, and we will update this thread when they become available on those platforms. There's a bunch of links if you want to share feedback to post a bug, all this other stuff. Um, But in general, it says improvements to character deletion to help users from accidentally deleting their characters. Now, why would that happen? Well, if I had to guess, there have been times when I've tried to log into the game and it showed that I didn't have a character. And I knew I had a character, so I sort of tried to go through the navigation on the Xbox S, and when it's, you know, my character wasn't there. It was a blank, it was like the the background screen, but no character sitting there, and then it took me to the screen where you choose a character, and I went and chose a barbarian again and tried to name him, and it said, oh, there's already a character with this name, and then it found my character, and I'm like, okay, that's really freaking weird, but okay, now it's possible if someone else was presented with a thing that might have indicated that your character is gone, that you might have tried to delete it and start over or or something like that. I don't know, but that's one of the things they tried to fix. And then they tried to fix the following stability and performance uh, things. They fixed a crash that could occur when using the legacy toggle after extended play sessions. I don't know what that means unless it means uh, you went from the more modern graphics to the original ones and it didn't work, maybe. Uh, fixed a crash that could occur when the Korean IGR playtime warning UI would appear. That's on PC only. Fixed a crash that would occur after launching the game with no existing setting files. PC only. That's a problem. Uh, fixed a crash that would occur when binding passive abilities to the interact button. Stability improvements in the effects system. Stability improvements on game shutdown. Fixes to localizations and subtitles and other minor crash slash stability fixes. And then we have the big blue notes that was also written by Pez Radar, and that was on the 14th. This one is titled, Diablo 2 Resurrected Outages, an explanation, how we've been working on it, and how we're moving forward. And I think this is the thing most people want to hear about if they haven't already read it. It is, of course, in the uh, Diablo 2 Resurrected forums on the Blizzard website. So I will read you some of this. Um, Since the launch of Diablo 2 Resurrected, we've been experiencing multiple server issues and we wanted to provide some transparency around what is causing these issues and the steps we have taken so far to address them. We also want to give you some insight on how we're moving forward. There is a too long didn't read, so I'll give you that. Our server outages have not been caused by a singular issue. We are solving each problem as they arise with both mitigating solves and longer term architectural changes. A small number of players have experienced character progression loss moving forward. Any loss due to a server crash should be limited to several minutes. This is not a complete solve to us, and we are continuing to work on this issue. Our team, with the help of others at Blizzard, are working to get the game experience to the place where to the place that feels good for everyone. Okay, so now they go into some specifics, and I'm not going to read word for word here because there's a lot, but I'll read just some. Uh, there's a section titled The Problem, and then there's an S in parentheses, so the problem problems with the servers. Before we talk about the problems, we'll briefly give you some context as to how our server databases work. First, there's our global database, which exists as the single source of truth for all your character information and progress. As you can imagine, that's a big task for one database and wouldn't cope on its own. So to alleviate load and latency on our global database, each region, NA, EU, and 
Asia has individual databases that also store your character's information and progress, and your region's database will periodically write to the global one. Most of your in-game actions are performed against this regional database because it's faster, and your character is, quote, locked in uh, locked there to maintain the individual character record integrity. The global database also has a backup in case the main fails. With that in mind... To explain what's been going on, we'll be focusing on the downtimes experienced between Saturday, October 9 to now. So this will give you a full example of what they were seeing. We've been seeing people complain on Twitter because they're frustrated or angry. Uh, but this is what they're seeing on their end, the Diablo team. On Saturday morning Pacific time, we suffered a global outage due to a sudden significant surge in traffic. This was a new threshold that our servers had not experienced at all, not even at launch. This was exasperated by an update we had rolled out the previous day intended to enhance performance around game creation. These two factors combined overloaded our global database, causing it to time out. We decided to roll back that Friday update we'd previously deployed, hoping that it would ease the load on the servers and leading into Sunday while also giving us the space to investigate deeper into the root cause. On Sunday, though, it became clear that what we'd done on Saturday wasn't enough. We saw an even higher increase in traffic, causing us to hit another outage. Now, I'm going to break in here and put my opinion into this part. Saturday, it, you know, it just wouldn't work, right? So Sunday... I'm guessing what happened was people that didn't get to play on Saturday for whatever reason or who wanted to play and couldn't get in uh, figured, okay, it's a new day. Let's let's all get in. And maybe more people tried to get in and maybe that was part of the problem, but I can't be certain. This is just my opinion. I'll continue with a little bit more of this explanation. Our game servers were observing the disconnect from the database and immediately attempted to reconnect repeatedly, which meant the database never had time to catch up on the work we had completed because it was too busy handling a continuous stream of connection attempts by game servers. During this time, we also saw we could make configuration improvements to our database event logging, which is necessary to restore a healthy state in case of database failure, so we completed those and undertook further root cause analysis. The double-edged sword of Sunday's outage was that because of what we dealt with on Saturday, we had created what was essentially a playbook on how to recover from it quickly, which was good, but because we came online again so quickly in a peak window of player activity with hundreds of thousands of games within 10 minutes, we fell over again, which was bad. So there's some of that. There's some more details about how that worked. Uh, why this is happening, I'll read you a little bit of this. Um, like I said, it's huge. You know, uh, In staying true to the original game, we kept a lot of legacy code. However, one legacy service in particular is struggling to keep up with modern player behavior. This service, with some upgrades from the original, handles critical pieces of game functionality, namely game creation slash joining, updating slash reading slash filtering game lists, verifying game server health, and reading characters from the database to ensure your character can participate in whatever it is you're filtering for. Importantly, this service is is a singleton, which means we can only run one instance of it in order to ensure all players are seeing the most up-to-date and correct game list at all times. We did optimize this service in many ways to conform to more modern technology, but as we previously mentioned, a lot of our issues stem from game creation. We mentioned the, quote, modern player behavior, end quote, because it's an interesting point to think about. In 2001, there wasn't nearly as much content on the internet around how to play Diablo 2, quote, correctly, end quote, parentheses, 
Bale runs for XP, Pindleskin slash Ancient Sewers, etc. for Magic Find, etc. End of parentheses. However, today, however, a new player can look up any number of amazing content creators who can teach them how to play the game in different ways, many of them including lots of database load in the form of creating, loading, and destroying games in quick succession. Though we did foresee this with players making fresh characters on fresh servers working hard to get their magic finding items, we vastly underestimated the scope we derived from beta testing. Additionally, overall, we were saving too often. We were saving too often to the global database. There is no need to do this as often as we were. We really should be saving you to the regional database and only saving you to the global database when we need to unlock you. This is one of the mitigations we have put in place. Right now, we are writing code to change how we do this entirely, so we will almost never be saving to the global database, which will significantly reduce the load on that server. But that is an architecture redesign, which will take some time to build, test, and implement. And as far as uh, progress loss. There's a couple paragraphs in here. The problem was that during a server outage when the database was falling over, a number of characters were becoming stuck in the regional database and we had no way of moving them over to the global database. At that time, we believed we had two options. We either unlock everyone with saved changes in the global database, therefore losing some progress due to an overwrite that would occur in the global database, or we bring the game down entirely for an indeterminate amount of time and run a script to write the regional data to the global database. At the time we acted on the former, we felt it was more important to keep the game up so people could play rather than take the game down for a long period of time to restore the data. We are deeply sorry to any players who lost important progress or valuable items. As players ourselves, we know the sting of a rollback and feel it deeply. There's more about that. There's some other things that they're going to be doing to make things better. There's They kind of finished somewhere in here. It says this is better, but it's still not good enough in our eyes. Here's what they're doing. Uh, they're going to do rate limiting. They, we are limiting the number of operations to the database around creating and joining games, and we know this is being felt by a lot of you. For example, for those of you doing pindle skin runs, you'll be in and out of a game and creating a new one within 20 seconds. In this case, you will be rate limited at a point. When this occurs, the error message will say there is an issue communicating with game servers. This is not an indicator that the game servers are down in this particular instance. It just means you have been rate limited to reduce load temporarily on the database. In the interest of keeping the game running, we can assure you this is just mitigation for now. We do not see this as a long-term fix. They're doing a login queue creation. Q-U-E-U-E, meaning lines waiting to get into login. Um, basically, I'm going to skip the paragraph because that's basically what it means. Um, to address this, we have people working in a login queue, much like you would have experienced in World of Warcraft. That's probably all you need from this right now. Um, breaking out critical pieces of functionality into smaller services. So they're going to uh, you know, split things up, I guess, so maybe it doesn't crash as much. And there's more in here, but that's the main idea that I think everybody was probably mostly interested in coming from the patch notes. There's another one that went up on the 15th, and it's short, and it's, uh, it's by PezRadar, community manager, and all of these were... It says, we have implemented a login queue for high traffic periods. This queue will pop up after the title screen when opening up the game. The queue will only appear during high traffic windows. Players will be shown a number on where they are in the queue. Players will have the option of exiting the queue and playing offline immediately if they wish by hitting escape on the queue prompt. We should note that the higher your queue number appears, the slower the number will refresh in the prompt. The number is still refreshing in the background, so we do not recommend leaving queue as this will create further delays to you entering the game during these high traffic windows. We expect a patch in the next week that will implement the same queue functionality to consoles. So what I'm getting from all of this is, yeah, a lot of people want to play on the weekends. Go figure, right? <laughs> or the days they have off of work or when they get home from work or school, depending on how old you are playing this game, right? So 
it's causing a lot of issues that I just went through and they are trying very hard to fix things. I'm not sure how this could have been handled really any other way except to work on it now. Um, maybe they could have extended the beta for longer to see how that affected things or how many people were in the beta. I have no idea how many people were in the beta. I was in it, but I don't know how many people were in it. Sometimes maybe it's just, you know, run the beta longer and see what works and what doesn't. But I don't think... I don't think they realized all the things that they just you know listed out in these things when this game was being launched, basically, or right before the launch. So they are trying. They are working on it. I know a lot of people are frustrated and angry and upset and... I've seen some tweets from very disgruntled people who want their money back, which that's not going to happen. Just don't. That's not going to happen. And please, please, please do not go and harass the community managers or the people working on this game on social media because they don't need that. You know, <laughs> they really don't. You can't pick one person and be like, this is all your fault because this is systemic and it has to do with coding and all this other stuff. So please be nice people. They'll get it fixed. It'll be fine. So from there, I'm going to highlight some things from the Diablo community. There is a wonderful thread by Wyatt Chang at Kendallson, and he is the game director for Diablo Immortal, and he used to be on Diablo 3, does a lot of cool stuff. And I'm going to read you the first thing in this thread, and I'll leave you to uh, figure out the rest and check it out you know, through a link in the show notes at ShatterSoulStone.com. But he wrote this, going to set the record straight on a Diablo 3 tidbit. This won't be popular, but I feel with D2R on everybody's mind, now is a more relevant time than others to bring this up. With the design lessons I learned at the end of the thread, and I'm just going to read a couple pieces here. I often hear the phrase, quote, Diablo 3 was turned around in the auction house, end quote. This is false. Many players certainly had experiences that, quote, Diablo 3's uh, tuning forced me to use the auction house, end quote, but that's different than design intent. Diablo 3's tuning, Inferno and such, if you remember, like, early days of Diablo 3, there were, like, normal Hell, Inferno, and or maybe Hell was the last one or something, and it was, like, instead of, like, the levels that you have now that you can choose, you know, which are, like, you know, uh, T1 or T2 or whatever, um, it was, like, those four challenging you know, challenging levels on it. It was the same game, but it was, you know, harder. That's where it started. So when he's mentioning Inferno, that's what that is, okay? So anyway, Diablo 3's tuning, Inferno and such, was not intended to drive people to the auction house. It was intended to require farming. We use D2 as a reference. In Diablo 2, you cannot play straight through normal nightmare in hell. During internal testing, the auction house did not exist. In Diablo 2, your progress starts slow and some amount of farming becomes required. You replay zones, farm bosses, and get better gear so you can get farther through the acts of hell. Testing Diablo 3 prior to launch was much more akin to playing SSF internal testing didn't have an auction house, and we didn't have thousands of players interacting. I spent endless hours playing internal builds, farming bosses through hell, and Inferno prior to the D3 launch. And it just goes on from there. But the point he's trying to make, I think, is that the auction house wasn't something you had to do you know and just how it came about so i'll leave you to read his whole thread because he's pretty wise about these things uh big daddy den has a video a youtube video called the pit easy loot farming you can check that out this guy named uh hosin diba who i think i've mentioned before he um, makes characters for games and he made a diablo 2 resurrected uh npc while he was working with blizzard and there's three pictures of this character and it's a uh 
sturdy-looking man with piercing blue eyes and short hair and a beard. It looks very realistic. I mean, I think that took a lot of work. You could see some gray in his beard and in his hair, uh, some wrinkles by his face. Looks like a barbarian or something like that, maybe. I don't know, but it looks cool. Um, David Brevik, uh, who was creator of Diablo, Hellgate, and some other stuff. He's been answering questions from people who ask him about Diablo 2 and other things. And somebody asked him, does base weapon attack speed and also attack speed bonuses given by items affect the barbarian's whirlwind? David Brevik says, Whirlwind is a bit different than other things in the game. I believe it only checks for weapon speed and attack speed bonuses on that weapon, not from other equipment or other skills, including fanaticism, so it can have an impact, but only on the weapon. Uh, Max Roll has the Bone Spear Necromancer Guide, if you want to do that. Um, it covers everything you need to know how to devastate the demons of Sanctuary and overwhelming magical might in Diablo II Resurrected. Uh, Fernando Forio is a Diablo 4 uh, senior UI artist at Blizzard Entertainment. He's got some really nice artwork here that's mostly of lettering. And, you know, it says BlizzCon 2019 and says Diablo 4. He may have made those. There's a lot of lovely calligraphy and a, a page full of all these little... Um, uh, I think this might be from Book of Adria, where she was marking the demons or something like that, where it's this intricate design on the ground and some different rune-looking things and all that. And it's really cool to check out. And of course, uh, the Halls of the Blind poem is written in calligraphy, and I need to do that sometime. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, Pure Diablo has a Diablo 2 Resurrected Guide to Trading you can check out if you're playing with other people. Blizz Planet has a Mephisto in normal with lightning Javavan in 16 seconds video. I'm not sure if it's a guide, but it might be cool to watch. Big Daddy Dan also has a Necro Summoner D2R guide you can check out. Wolfcryer has made a video. He says, the first video of this kind, let me know what you think. And it's uh, described on YouTube. I can see the little YouTube thing here. And it says, Diablo 2 resurrected 100 Pindleskin runs condensed, which is I think that might be interesting to watch. And the last thing I have in here is Pure Diablo again. And they have a Pure Diablo Overwatch app that they... Overwolf app. Sorry, not Overwatch. Pure Diablo Overwolf app launched. Uh, they describe it as a new way to access their vast amount of reference content and tools without leaving the game. So there's that. That is the... Pretty much the last thing I have to say about this. I didn't talk about my week in gaming. There wasn't much to say. I put a... Diablo 3 video up on YouTube at uh, Book of Jen is the channel. And um, still don't have any ethereals because I've mostly not been playing as much lately because I've been busy. And I have been playing Diablo 2. I'm still in Act 1, still playing a Barbarian. I started working on the sixth quest, and that's where I'm at. So that's basically it. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close out the show. You have been listening to episode 329 of The Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as on the Shattered Soulstone website. This show is powered by you, the listener. Send in your thoughts, contributions, questions, and feedback to our Twitter at Shattered Stone or Facebook, facebook.com slash Shattered Soulstone. Thank you for listening.